We're back with another episode of Beers and Miles, The Elite Files. Today, we're joined by Pittsburgh Track Club Zone, Colin Martin. Fresh off of his Olympic trials qualifier at the Grandma's Marathon this June, Colin takes us through his running journey, starting off at Fox Chapel High School, where he broke nine in high school, then heading over to Michigan, and then finishing up at uh, the Citadel. Uh, we had a great time talking to Colin. This is the first two-parter. Uh, this episode was filled with lots of laughs and a couple awes, uh, because be honest, this might be the most wholesome episode that we've recorded so far. Anyways, enough babbling. Let's get on with the show. Expect episode two next week. Welcome to the Beers and Miles podcast. We talk about beers, miles, and whatever else we can manage to jump off topic with. My name's Chris, and uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm not here on my own here in this, like, little apartment. Wait, wait. What is this? Hi. You probably haven't heard my voice in a while. Um, This is... Optimus Prime. Um, I've <laughs> I introduced myself earlier as Optimus Prime, and now I have to live with the results of that catastrophe. So this is how we're living now. But it's Nicole. I'm back. Yeah, for the last couple of months, it's been you hear where in the world is Carmen San Diego. It's more where in the world is Nicole. Usually, it's Japan. <laughs> Japan, Europe. Uh, I think just both of them, right? Florida, Florida. yeah. I've been all over the place. South Asia. South Asia. Wherever, wherever. <laughs> South America. Uh, we're going to kick off this podcast like we usually do. We're going to open a beer. We're starting off the beer, or starting off the podcast with this beer by, by Stefaner Premium Original. Um, it is the world's oldest brewery, and it's one of my favorite beers. It's a lager, and it is just nice and nice after a hot day. Uh we both run today, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it is not nice out here, and I don't really like it. So we're gonna gonna, gonna toast to this. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> Kanpai. Uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> it's Japanese for cheers because that's where I am in the world usually these days. As uh, she has a fan that has, I assume, Japanese writing on the back. So. Yeah, it says press this twice to turn it on. And it, it's, it's like one of those little like mini fans that like you see them everywhere in Japan, but you don't really see them in America. Like there's these mini fans that you like hold in front of your face on like public transportation at like the park, like anywhere you go, there's somebody holding a fan like this in Japan, but not really in America. And so it's gotten me a lot of really terrible looks. And so I love it for that. And I will never stop using it. <laughs> well, um, Oh, where are we? Off, off the rails and it's two minutes in. <laughs> no, um, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, guy, put the plugs in. Uh, give us a like, share, and subscribe on Inst- or, uh, on iTunes, on Spotify. Give us five stars, nice comments. If you don't have nice comments, keep them keep them to yourself. We'd appreciate that. Uh, share it with your friends. Share it with your mom. Share it with your dog. You know. Please say thing. nice things about us. I know your dog does. Yeah. And if you have any questions for us, shoot them to... Beersandmiles at gmail.com. That is beersandmiles at gmail.com. We are back with an episode of the Elite Files. I don't know when's the last time we've done an Elite Files. It might have been Burks. Mm. It probably was Burks was one of the last ones we did. Uh, yeah. As the great philosophers of our time stained once said, it's been a while. Oh. Uh, <laughs> all right. We can cut the podcast off now. We can just go home and we can just take a nap. Um yeah, I'm super pumped to, to have this gentleman here. Uh, I've known him for, I think, about two, three years at this point. Um, one of my favorite people to follow, one of the favorite people that I've met in, in my journeys uh, throughout this Midwest uh, area. Um, 
we have Pittsburgh Track Club's own coming up at two seventeen. Let's get let's get let's get the uh, let's get the let's get the time right. Two seventeen twenty eight. The an Olympic trials qualifier. Colin Martin, how are you doing? Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's a very very kind intro. Uh, this is gonna be awesome. I'm really stoked to be here. How does that? How does that feel? Like that's that's that like no matter whatever happens, you'll forever be have be able to have that intro, an Olympic trials qualifier. It's unreal, honestly. It took a really long time to settle in, uh, and even hearing it now is still crazy to me. Um, but you know, I think it's uh, it's just really exciting. It, it feels really really good. It's been a really long goal of mine for a really long time, so it's nice to accomplish it. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're super excited to have you. I've been wanting to have you for quite a bit since I've met you. You have a cool story, and we're going to just jump right into it. Um, I did get a chance to get to know you a little bit through some other podcasts and some other mediums, so I have I kind of have a little bit of an intro into 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 uh, to how you got running. But uh, running wasn't your first sport. No, uh, actually, it wasn't. Uh, believe it or not, it was football. <laughs> so, uh, so you, you know, played two different positions in football. What were they? Uh, corner, and I did play quarterback for like two weeks did- before I was <laughs> upstaged by a much better athlete than I was. So, Do you feel like those skills transferred to your running? Oh, absolutely not. No, there is, <laughs> there is nothing about that time of my life that has translated whatsoever. But uh, do you I mean, ever like? Do you ever find yourself like tempted to just scream out like "Omaha!" like in the middle of your runs? Uh, every once in a while, uh, but I've learned to suppress that urge. Yes, yeah. <laughs> is that what you can kind of, kind of consider like a dual threat at that point, or is that a triple threat at that point? It's like, yeah, you got you got to ring the bell, the WWE bell, triple threat right here. Mm. <laughs> I get mixed up with Shohei Otani all the time nowadays, you know. Um, you, I can see the resemblance. Yeah, you know, it just happens like that. <laughs> I see the athlete that I am and go, wow, I just, I can't tell the difference, so. He, he, he's, a, he's, he's an athlete on and off the court. On and off the court. <laughs> on and off, out of the Omaha zone. No so, the pocket. <laughs> so your journey into running was more uh, from... Like how, so you switched over from football kind of on like a, a nudge, nudge from your, from your family, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, you've done your homework. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Ethan, my twin brother had been running uh, through seventh grade and he was lighting it up like immediately. He's just, he's always been an incredible athlete uh, and someone that I've looked up to forever. Uh, so to see him have the success that he was having so quickly, it didn't take much from the rest of my family to say, hey, why don't you give it a shot? Uh, so I, I hopped over for track uh, that spring of seventh grade and then cross country in eighth grade. And then by then I was fully converted. Yeah. Were you converted more of like you saw the improvement off of running or that the community of it? I think it really was the community and the coaches that I had. Uh, Pete Shiner and Matthew Lepatka, they are two of the biggest reasons that I fell in love with running. Um, and they still support me to this day. It's crazy. Every once in a while, you know, getting an email from um, Coach Lepatka. He came to States whenever I was a senior in high school. 
Um, and, uh, you know, every once in a while I've gotten an email from him. He's just an incredible guy, him and coach Shiner, um, just really supportive. And I think that's what made me stay because I wasn't having success right away. Um, I really wouldn't say I found my stride, no pun intended until, uh, probably my junior year of high school when I realized like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I think we could, we could see some, some future in this sport. And at, at, at a certain point. We have a, a new challenger has approached the, uh, uh, the the chat of your running journey, and that is uh, John Wilkie. Uh, yeah. So he, what you were saying, he, he was he recruited your brother, which is like for me, like hearing that story was like, all right, I came into it my freshman year of high school, and like from an area that didn't really have like middle school running kind of floating into like having a pipeline in a high school. So like, how was that for you, like? Because the attention was on your brother, but like also like getting some attention on yourself had to be pretty cool. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, the the focus was definitely on Ethan again because he was having so much success um, uh, in eighth grade, and then especially his freshman year. So his freshman year, Ethan qualified for our conference finals um, in uh, Pennsylvania. So in Western Pennsylvania, we have the Whippeal, which is District Seven in Pennsylvania. And Ethan, as a freshman, uh, made the two-mile final. Um, So he was immediately having success and caught Coach Wilkie's eye. And uh, I can remember my first day of practice with Coach Wilkie. Um, He's he's a no-nonsense guy and really a tough love kind of person, but he's someone who will support you undyingly if you're willing to put in the work. Like, if you're willing to suffer, he will back you 100%. Um, and I can remember the first day of practice, he didn't like my attitude, like from square one. And he straight up told me that. And he was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to, you're going to do this unless you really want to commit. Um, and I took that to heart and for good reason, you know, I, I think that really, you know, squared me up from immediately. And, you know, I found out what he was really about and, you know, committed from there. What was, I mean, going from from most high schools even from middle school like going to a from what sounds like a very structured uh training program how is that like for you i mean you're you're still a kid and and to have even just like for for a lot of people to have have an adult saying like you need to like commit to something it's a little bit scary absolutely yeah and you know what uh i mean it scared a lot of people uh, and i think you don't need to look any further than you know the north hills cross country team during John Wilkie's reign, um, you know, a typical high school might have 30, 40, 50 kids that come out for the cross country team. Coach Wilkie regularly had five or six, um, but they were five or six of the hardest runners ever. Like they were just super tough because they wanted to be there. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, like I, I thought about being a coach myself someday. I think that'd be really cool. And I think there's something to be said about being a coach that's accessible to everyone and saying, Hey, if you want to come out, that's great. You can make this a social thing, but if you want to commit, like come and talk to me, like, and we can make you a good runner. And that's the kind of person Wilkie was, um, and still is as a coach. He's just, you know, I want people that want to commit and I want people that are willing to suffer. Uh, and if you're willing to suffer, you'll do incredible things. That's awesome. But to that point too, he, like that wasn't your head coach at your high school. It was a, and you from hearing like, you have one of the few 
instances that I've ever seen for an elite high school runner that has a very healthy, no ego kind of coaching staff that's willing to work together with somebody else. So talk a little about like how that structure worked because Wilkie wasn't, wasn't the like, I guess, direct high school coach, but there was a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Uh, early on in high school, it was very different. Um, there were definitely a lot of battles. Uh, and then there was a coaching change um, after my junior or going into my junior year. And whenever that coaching change happened, when Tom Mole, who is the current coach of Fox Chapel, stepped in, he bought in like immediately. Um, coach Mole, to his credit, was someone who was willing to learn and wanted to learn so he could figure out how to bring success in running to Fox Chapel. Um, where I went to high school. And again, it, you look no further than I think two years after I graduated from high school, Coach Mole by himself coached a women's championship state team. So he won the state title with his women, which hadn't been done in the school's history, you know? Um, so Coach Mole's willingness to learn and again, like you said, putting his ego aside and saying like, yeah, Coach Wilkie has a lot of knowledge. He's someone that I can learn from. I, I respect the heck out of Coach Mole for that. Um, and I still see him every once in a while. I actually saw him the other day at Shenley Oval when I was doing my workout on Tuesday and he gave me a big thumbs up for the, for the race and everything. So it was cool to see him and, you know, we still stay in touch too. He's a great guy. Do you think that that contributed greatly to your own success as a runner? Because you said you kind of hit your stride around junior year. Do you think his willingness to learn kind of like made you more willing to learn? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't have had the access to, you know, going to North Park and, and training with Coach Wilkie and then having Coach Mole support us going to those workouts and having him there to hold the stopwatch and um, help coach us through those practices as well. Because he was contributing um significantly to those those opportunities as well you know it would not have happened without him um so absolutely he is a hundred percent a huge portion of the reason why we were seeing the success we were having i think there's something to be said to just in general like a coaching staff and how important it is to leave your ego at the door especially when you're coaching kids like whether it is high school kids or even early college kids is like you can be really impactful in a person's life, even if you're not creating the day-by-day -day structure of their workouts. Like I have call, I have some, I have one of my favorite coaches I ever had wasn't the one that was doing my my, my workouts my freshman sophomore year. It was Jason at, at Laverne, and it was just it was kind of like, like not to say good cop bad cop, but like it was that person that like he knew me well enough to know exactly what made me like get me in the moment and get me ready to go. And it's like, that's what I need. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, Coach Mole being able to do that and and have that willingness to learn was, was huge. And I think that's a great quality in any coach. I think the moment you get set in your ways and say, this is the way I coach and this is what works, this is the way I'm going to do things, is the moment your athletes start getting out-competed. Because it's always changing. I mean, we can see in the landscape of running over the last 10 years how much faster people are running. And again, the argument is super shoes or is it coaching? I, I really do think people are figuring out how to run fast. And yeah, the shoes are helping, but it can't be by this much. You know, it can't be this significant. Um, so I think, yeah, being adaptable, being willing to learn, um, and being willing to change how you coach is really important to having success as a coach and for the success of your athletes. That's well, really well said. That's really well said. Uh, it's something you mentioned 
with the super shoes, and we're not even chat about that because I don't feel like going into that detail. <laughs> but you did something in in you did something in the era of like non super shoes that is considered a just a a dream for high school kids. You broke nine, dude. <laughs> like that was the one. Like was that the highlight of your high school careers? Breaking nine. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, that was, that was like the big goal for me, my freshman year. And like, it seemed so crazy to me to be able to, to try and do that. And even looking back at it, how many people are doing it now, um, it's, it's pretty nuts, but, um, yeah, that was, that was the biggest accomplishment for me getting through high school and setting that goal for myself. Cause not a lot of people in Pennsylvania were doing that at the time. Uh, and definitely not with just, you know, the traditional spikes that had nothing in them but a piece of plastic. So I think even even in, in this time period, like most states aren't having many people go still. I mean, yeah, we have a lot more like it has changed a lot of things, but still sub nine is still a pretty, pretty good barrier. Um, quick, quick, like just start, like, where did you do it? And like, do you still remember the feeling? Of like that last, like knowing that, like, I guess the last like 800, 400 where you're like, I'm on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was at States my senior year. So it was the last track race ever. Um, and when I say like Steph Curry from half court at the buzzer, like that's <laughs> how clutch that felt to me. Like that was <laughs> to do it. Um, because at that time too, like I was never doing, um, the outdoor nationals. I know that's a really big thing for a lot of people now. Um, I had done indoor nationals, um, and I raced the 5k my senior year indoors and that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that was the last race for me. So if I was going to do it in high school, that was going to be the race to do it at. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about getting really lucky in a race, um, with the people willing to go out and do it. And I will never forget his name, Dominic DeLuca. Um, he took it out hard for everybody. And um, he didn't end up breaking nine, but he took us through one mile at like 4.30 and gave us a shot. Um, and it was me, Tony Russell, and um, Ross Wilson. Uh, they were both from the Philadelphia area that ended up um, going sub nine. And it was just total panic running the entire time. If, if I could describe the feeling, it I mean, like, I, I had no idea that it was going to happen. I knew I was on pace, but at no point until I crossed the finish line did I know, like, oh, this is happening. Like, there was no celebration coming across the line, like, oh, my God, like, I did it. I had to turn back and look at the clock and wait for it to come up on the screen before I knew. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was it. So I had no idea that I had done it until I crossed the finish line and looked back. Was that the fastest you'd ever gone out in the two mile? Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the fastest. If it wasn't, then it was really close. But um, the the race right before states, our Whippeal Conference Championship, um, we we went out pretty hard um, in a field that really wanted to try and test the front of the pack. Um, but yeah, very similarly, you know, people ended up falling off in the second half. So we didn't have an opportunity to run quite as fast. But this one, it was running gun the whole way, someone pushing the entire time. Um, and I don't think I led that race at all, if I'm remembering that correctly. <laughs> I don't think I led a single step of it. That's, uh, 
man, that's something I barrier is just it, it's legendary. Like it doesn't matter if it's now or even back then. Like it is still such a cool thing to hear about. I don't. I think I never got to ask Fahey about what his feeling was about sub nine or sub nine because he did it a couple times. But like hearing like. Hearing that's just super cool. And also just kind of reinforces the fact that you're a gamer. <laughs> so like, you got one, you got one shot, you got what you, 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 you got your, your shot, your place to shoot your shot is a statement. Like, that's yeah. all right. <laughs> we got, that's we got crazy. really, really lucky. Yeah. Being in the right race was, was huge and having the guys willing to do it. Cause I can remember being in the corral before the race and the the top guys all coming together, you know, as we're about to go to the line, like in the tent, and we're all like, okay, are we going to go for this? Like, and I can remember someone saying, yeah, let's put on a show, let's go for it. And that was awesome. You know, so to have everyone there willing to go for it, you know, from the gun running 67s, like the whole time. And that was it. Let's put on a show. I love that. <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah that, that's too. what like really got me amped up was someone yeah. saying that. I was like, yo, let's all right, let's go. <laughs> you ever just like say that in a corral now, like before your OTQ, you're like, let's put on a show. <laughs> I wish I had that confidence. I, <laughs> I don't though. Um, I don't know things are happening until they happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I try and train like I know that I can do those things, but it's, it's never the same. You know, was it the same feeling that you got crossing the line when you qualified for the Olympic trials where you kind of just like Steph Curry game seven half court shot let's go or was the sub nine just like still the highlight of your life um I mean it, this trials qualification is is now definitely the highlight um for sure but so this you know, is like Michael Jordan and the sub nine was Steph Curry I mean that that might be a good analogy. I, I I said that Steph Curry analogy like I knew basketball a lot. I don't. Um, <laughs> that was the one reference that I could pull. But um, no, this one felt really really good. But I mean, it's very different. I mean, thankfully, with about a quarter mile to go, I knew I didn't have to like cross the line and then look at the clock. Thankfully, there was enough time that I could be like, okay, I can actually enjoy the last ten steps of this race. Yeah. But it yeah. wasn't like a buzzer beater. No, yeah, and I still have another opportunity technically to like lower my time. If I wanted to run another marathon in the fall and I didn't hit the standard, I knew I had one more shot. Yeah. So, like people running CIM, that will be the Steph Curry from half court. That will be <laughs> equivalent then. God bless those people. I'm really glad I'm not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um so we're going to get into uh, into like the dark ages. And it's not the dark ages because of your stories. It's the dark ages because of the school you chose to go to. Sorry, Zach. But we're going to talk about Michigan. Why did you choose to go there when there are so many better schools? <laughs> <laughs> did you go to Ohio State or something? You are I just did. trashing. Michigan, I did. Right? Oh, okay. I went to OSU for undergrad. <laughs> uh, this podcast based, based out of Columbus, Ohio. So. <laughs> But how did you end up getting into Michigan? Uh, so I, I think having Ethan was a really big part of that. Um, we kind of always saw ourselves as a package deal, um, but we went and toured a couple of different schools. So we got, we got invitations to go and see them. And uh, Ethan, like immediately, whenever we went to Michigan, he was like, this is going to be it. And it was our first one. And I was like, all right, buddy chill out. Let's like, let's figure this out. 
Um, and we went to a couple other ones and there were, there were other schools that I, I did enjoy, um, you know, just as much, um, and maybe even just slightly less because I did end up picking Michigan, but, um, yeah, I, I think Ethan choosing Michigan and being so excited was huge. And then I also really clicked with all the guys. Like I can remember going to all the other schools and like, obviously knowing and really liking the guys, but all the guys at Michigan, I immediately knew like, okay, I could be friends with these guys. Um, and that was really important to me. I wanted to make sure that the people that I was going to be spending every waking moment with were people that I could tolerate and they were just all stellar guys. So I felt really at home there. We got, we got a 2016 roster photo of you. Just, oh God. Just a, just a boy. He's just a Yikes. boy. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. a, that's a really interesting photo. You kind of look that like that one guy, Cameron Monaghan, I think his name is in that photo. He's oh, from gosh. like uh, Shameless, and he's like the main character in that one Star Wars video game. <laughs> oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, doesn't that great looking look? guy, right? Just <laughs> great looking guy. You could be a Jedi too. Exactly, running Jedi, two seventeen Jedi. <laughs> uh, you came in during a time period that had a. An, Funny enough, that's two people we've had on a podcast that have had changes at Michigan. We had Zach had a change going from Warhurst to Gibby. You came the change between Gibby and Sully. Yeah. So, like, at that point, you had already signed. You had, like, you were already there, and Gibby had recruited you. And did you get any chance to be coached by Gibby or immediately got into the Sully system? No, yeah. So, um, Gibby was let go the summer before I matriculated. So I got recruited. I accepted in like October or November. And then by like June or July, Gibby was no longer coaching at Michigan. So I came in like August 1st for Michigan camp and Sully was there. Um, so that was the transition right before I got there. So it was really nerve wracking for a lot of the guys. I can remember being in a group chat with all the freshmen and to a man, everyone ended up staying. And even though people were like, oh man, I'm not sure. Should we go and talk to other people, um, and talk to other coaches? And my coach was even encouraging us. Yeah. Like, like let's go see if there are other options elsewhere. Um, and not that Michigan was going to be a bad choice, but if you thought that there would be somewhere else that would be a better fit, then do your due diligence and, and try and figure that out. But and you, also man, have the op- you have the option to do it too, especially when, when you switch coaches, you have the option to be able to transfer without any penalty. So, right. So the contract at that point is void. Um, because your coach is no longer there. So you do have the opportunity to, to jump ship if you want. But the point was... What made you stay, though? Uh, it was the guys. It was the guys there. I, I loved all of my teammates. Um, they were all great guys. And I think that was the biggest reason. Yeah. Was that what... Was Flanagan and... and uh, Flanagan and Mason were there? Was that they your were. year or was it year, years before? Ben was a year older than me. And Mason was three years older than me. So Mason was a senior when I was a freshman. Ben was a sophomore when I was a freshman. And I actually, oh, so I didn't room with Ben, but Ben was like one of my hosts for, for Michigan. Um, I guess one of the side hosts, because I ended up rooming with a guy named Austin Benoit, who is still one of my good friends. I I love Tin Man. He's great. That's awesome. 
Now, that was the one thing that I, I, I'd heard a lot about you. I praised you. I didn't know much about your college experience or like where you ran in college because it's not really spoken about too much like or i don't really hear you talk about much about it you didn't have a like for somebody that's run 217 now you didn't have a great college experience as far as like running wise like talk about that a little bit yeah um so i think with any coaching change i mean even if it wasn't Gibby to Sully, like even if I had Gibby, I mean, literally any time you change your coach, there's a chance that you're going to get injured, right? I mean, you're in a new system, you're training differently. It's not going to be the exact same. Um, and one of the reasons that I was so attracted to Michigan was because Gibby was very similar to my high school coach. My high school coach was very high mileage mindset. He was very strength focused. So we were doing... 70 miles a week deep in summer my senior year in high school so yeah and for high schoolers that's that's the high <laughs> and, and gibby was the same way uh gibby was very strength focused like nearly run you into the ground but you're going to be really really strong um, and that was something that i was attracted to because it was a system that i had worked you know and there are logical steps to getting up to 100 110 miles a week um, but you know i i was willing to make those steps but I think the system that I was brought into with Sully just wasn't compatible with what I was built for. Um, Sully did a lot more intense, intense workouts. So it was very, not speed focused, but I mean, we did a lot of very fast reps. Um, and that was not something that I was really used to. I was, I was used to strength focused workouts where we're doing, you know, cut downs from like six flat down to 530. And we do a couple of those throughout the workout. Um, you know, a lot of fartleks, you know, six by five minute, you know, three by 10 minutes, something like that, but all very strength focused and a lot of hills. Uh, and Sully was, you know, we're ripping four, six, eights on the track. We're going to go do some really short hill sprints. Um, and it didn't really work for me. And I ended up getting hurt just all the time. Um, so by the time I got to the end of my sophomore year, I was kind of heading out um, and that was pretty much the end of my college career. By the end of my sophomore year, I kind of realized this system isn't going to work. And um, I was injured and I said, I should take some time away from the sport. So you walked away from running like altogether? I did. Yeah. So, so did you, did you like stop running or were you still kind of, you know, hob hobby jogging, I guess? I, I had run enough and been training for long enough to know that what I needed was six months off. So you just uh, didn't run at all for six yeah, months? Yeah, like I, I had been cross training and I mm -hmm. think the cross training just wasn't allowing my body to heal. Mm -hmm. um, and it was expected, you know, to be on the bike or elliptical to try and keep your cardio up even while you're hurt or be in the pool. Uh, and my body just wasn't being given time to heal. Um, so what I knew I needed was just stop everything to let my body come back. And I can remember walking around my house after I left the team and like hobbling up the stairs. Like I felt 85 years old. Like I just oh felt God. so broken. Um, and I just knew I needed to walk away. So you took six months off and then you returned to like running on your own. Like what made you come back to it after kind of all that trauma? Um, 
I, I knew I missed it a lot. I really, really missed it. So um, I think any runner knows like the endorphin kick you get from going out for your run and just finishing that run and having that sense of accomplishment um, and not having that was hurting a lot. So I think that was one thing, but at that point still, I like really didn't have a love for running still. Um, you know, I was doing a couple races here and there, you know, I had done some trail half marathons, um, and that was like fun, but it really wasn't scratching the itch because I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was training that hard. Um, and I missed training hard. Like I missed that a lot. Um, but I guess I just wasn't getting it because I wasn't in control of what I was doing. Like I was being told, these are the workouts you have to do and you have to do them. And if you don't feel good, you're going to do them anyways. Um, and that was the hard part for me. So stepping away and getting trained myself for the first time, I think was a really big change that needed to happen. I, I think there's something to be said about, I, I guess the maturity level that you even had back then, because most people that have that moment where they know they have to walk away, don't come back. And a lot of it is just, they, they can't, even if they loved it, it's still like either it's spoiled and they can't come back to it or after six months, I mean, to be honest, it's a big 10 school. There's a lot of things to do in six months, but you don't have to run and have some fun. And depending on the season, it could, I mean, with you guys, you have, you have a football team and you have a good basketball team. Like you guys, it's a, it's a fun campus. I, mean, I hung out in Ann Arbor. It's a fun campus to be around. So they'd be able to like, turn that around and be able to say six months to what I need just emotionally and physically, and then be able to come back to that. That says a lot about just like, it seems like you had a good handle who you were as a person and who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, I learned that from a lot of different people. Um, I mean, my brother, my coaches in high school, my parents, um, you know, they, they've always taught me to be patient with myself and, um, you know, look out for myself. That was never something um, that they were shy about sharing with me. You know, they, they made sure that I knew that that was important. And, um, yeah, I think that really helped a lot. Um, and I had people in my corner at that point um, that were really helping me as well. Um, friends at school, um, old teammates. Um, I mean, I had a conversation with Ben. Uh, Flanagan, and this is one of my favorite stories to tell too, is after I left the team, Ben took me out to dinner um, and just like, are you okay? Like, how's everything going? Tell me about your decision. Like what's going on? Um, you know, Ben, Ben Flanagan's always been someone I really, really look up to. And that's something that I will always remember about him. Um, he is just a great guy. Um, so I was surrounded by a lot of really good people at that time, having my twin brother the entire time to, you know, kind of lean on in, in those really tough times. And then my friends at Michigan, um, I think was really big too. It's awesome to hear. I've only, I've heard one, I've heard a couple of good stories about Ben from Zach and, and, and that's, and that's now another layer of like a good guy, Ben Flanagan, uh, <laughs> To hear that, uh, I think Zach said he went to a, a pop punk concert with Blunt Ben, and he's like, "Man, that line for that that T-shirt, that's really long. Let's let's go back out there." And he's like, "Yeah, give me a second. Let me go to the bathroom." 
And then he sees him about like 15, 20 minutes later, and it's Ben with the shirt. He's like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> It is so. Oh, it's good to hear that we get multiple multiple instances of Ben Flanagan being just a genuine good human being. <laughs> He's a great guy. Yeah, but that, that's that. I mean, that says a lot about the people that you choose to be in your corner, uh, choose to have in your corner. And I mean, it, it's it's a tough place. I think in most programs, the guy that ends up leaving the team generally ends up being ostracized from it. And and. It's it's something that it took me from finding somebody else on a different team to realize that like we had a guy that I ran against and it was a very good guy. He was he ran four sixteen or four fifteen on a DMR split D three guy. I was like this guy's really talented. It's like this guy's a killer, and he ended up uh, leaving the team. And I saw him about a year after after he had left the team, and he was super happy. And I realized like oh shit, like there's more of this left in this running thing. <laughs> it's like, and it, and for me, like being like a super all-in teammate, and it's like realizing like, oh, like there's an there's an important part of being a teammate. It's like actually looking over your friends and looking over them as human beings, as opposed to like you don't need running to be a yeah. Running's a great way to meet people. Running's a great way to like foster relationships with people. That shouldn't be the be all end all, especially if they find that they running might not be that thing for them for a little bit. It's like yeah. be a good human being to other people. Yeah, I feel like running teams are kind of notorious for having a little bit of like an ostracized mentality when you leave the team because that was something that like I left my college team too um, when I was in college so I could focus on studying, and like I never fell out with any of the the women that I was on a team with like we stayed close I'm still close to some of them this day but that was always something like we would notice different sports like football was definitely one that kind of was like it's a forever kind of brotherhood but like running we always would joke about it like oh we're trek and field you know like we're you you're either with us or you're not like that was it's something that so it's really good to hear that your experience leaving wasn't necessarily a bad one but one of kind of like growth and just like an actual journey of healing and happiness. I mean, look at you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I think, I think I, I did it on my terms. So I think that really, really helps. I know there's people that aren't quite as lucky. Um, you know, I, I made the decision to leave for myself. I wasn't necessarily forced out. So um, I think that made things a lot easier um, in that process as well. So when you got back to training and you were training yourself, do you think that you trained yourself kind of like the, the fart lick, high mileage? Like, do you think you took a page out of the high school book or do you think that Sully kind of reshaped your training at all? Yeah. I mean, there, there are certainly some aspects that I took with me, but for, for the most part, I was back to like my high school roots. Um, at that point, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm still in contact with my high school coach, John Wilkie. I mean, I, I get an email from him after pretty much every single race. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one thing he loves me to, to send along is, you know, a training update, you know, workouts that I had done during a buildup and there, after the race and everything. So, you know, we still stay in touch. But I was going back to those routes. So I was going back through training logs from high school and, and trying to replicate workouts that I was doing. So same deal, lots of cut downs, um, uh, you know, ending a long run with a three mile cut down, bringing it down to like 530, 520, something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, very strength focused. Um, do you still coach yourself now? 
Um, no. So, I mean, yes, there are parts of my training that I, I have a say in, but Uris, the club founder um, of Pittsburgh Track Club, has been helping me a lot with training. Um, so I'll, I'll often write a plan for myself and then I'll go to him and say, hey, how does this look? And he'll offer, you know what, okay, these two workouts are a little close together. You're probably going to have a hard time. Let's lighten the load on this one. Let's increase the load on this one. I like this workout. This workout we can scrap. This one's a little close to this race. So he's, he's a great person to talk to. He's super, super knowledgeable and another person that is constantly adapting and reading and talking to other people. Um, so he's a really great resource. The man's a saint. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It it's, uh, when I mentioned you and I mentioned Iris to uh, Evan Hatton, I was like, yeah, they, they told me about this like Pittsburgh track club race. And he's like, they invited you? You go. <laughs> you need to go to this Pittsburgh race. And that's how I ended up like meeting. That's how I ended up meeting them because it was a, it was a, it was a very much uh, a very high, like high regard, high recommendation uh, to both of you guys. So, um, so, you finish up, finish up at Michigan. You decide to pursue more studies. Um, go to the Citadel. Why did you choose there? Just curious. Uh, that's that's a long story. I guess a pretty short story, but it is kind of crazy that I ended up there for sure to a lot of people. Um, so when I was a junior in college. My mom and dad moved to Charleston, South Carolina. So when I graduated from college, um, I decided I wanted to go into teaching. So I had to get um, a teaching degree because I had no background in teaching. I was just a pre-med student when I graduated. Um, And I went and looked for schools in Charleston because I said, you know what, if I can live at home and save a lot of money, that would be great. Um, so I knew I was going to live at home. It was just uh, a choice between two schools that were in the Charleston area. It was the College of Charleston and the Military College of South Carolina, which is the, the Citadel. And the Charleston, uh, the College of Charleston didn't have a teaching program. Um, so at first I was thinking, like, maybe I will go to the Citadel and instead of run, I will coach at the College of Charleston. So I actually talked to the coach at the College of Charleston, had this whole meeting and everything, and she was super on board with me helping out with the team. Uh, and then I realized I still had eligibility. Ooh. So I reached out to the coach at the Citadel and I said, hey, if I run for you guys, do you think I could actually do that? Like, would that be possible? And they were like, absolutely, 100%, please. <laughs> that would be great. And it ended up being the best decision of my life. Um, because that's, I, I was really hoping you'd ask me about the, these guys because where I found my love for running again was at the Citadel. That's where right. it happened. Yeah. This did, is a part of the story that I did not get a chance to hear. So I, honestly, I was the most excited about the Citadel just for the name alone. It's so the coolest I, name in sports. It truly is. EA sports. It's in the game. Anyway. <laughs> so what can you, can you kind of talk us through maybe, how you found your love for running again at the Citadel? Like what kind of sparked that for you? It was my coach, Aaron Leonard, like no doubt about it. Um, I, I found a coach that cared about me as a person first. Um, and Aaron loves her athletes so hard. She is just the kindest human. She cares about you. 
Um, and I think the reason why her athletes improve so much over the time that they, from when they arrive to when they graduate is because of that care that she has. Um, because she doesn't want you to get hurt. Like she does not want that. And I don't think there's any coach on planet earth that doesn't want that. But if you come in and you say, Hey, you know what? I've had a really rough week. Um, you know, I think I, I need to, you know, chill out a little bit. She's going to take that to heart and listen to it. Um, and take that into account whenever she's, you know, writing up plans. Um, but I, I think that approach that she had with her athletes, um, seeing them as people first before they are athletes and then coaching them as athletes, I think made a huge difference. That's wow. That's so wholesome. I love that. Well, like to to your point though, like every coach doesn't want their athletes to be hurt, but there's a whole thing where it's like, Hey coach, I'm like, I'm feeling a sore. It's like, yeah, just keep doing reps. You're fine. It's just, it's just soreness. We're fine. We're fine. Just keep doing, keep doing it. And it's like at a certain point too, it's like, do you think also her type of, coaching style also had a had a hand on the environment of the athletes that you were working working out with and, and I guess the team in general 100% yeah i mean i think everyone there uh you know for the most part i mean you know you're you're stressed when you're in college like you're you're dealing with classes not every day is going to be shiny but when everyone came to practice i think everyone was in a better mood and you know i i can't say that's 100% all the time everywhere Um, so to see that at the Citadel pretty consistently was, you know, really refreshing for me coming to an environment where I knew everyone had each other's backs, um, the entire way was really, really nice. And I think it it was, it was a smaller team was the other thing too. Um, and you know, there's reasons why teams are big, you know, I think there's an advantage to having a big team, but everyone on our team, just straight brothers, like they're all great guys Um, And everyone cared about each other. Everyone knew a lot of details about the other people's lives. You know, on a team of 30 guys, you might have a core five or six people that you like know really, really well. And the other guys you're like, you're obviously friendly with, but you don't know like your best friends. Everyone on this team was your best friend. It was just great. Um, So showing up to practice was really easy every day. Everyone came in with a really solid attitude and uh, all the guys were, you know, ready to work, which was great. So for listeners that don't know, Citadel is a military academy, as you mentioned, but it is not a military academy for grad students. So to to hear that they were, they welcomed you with open arms, even though technically you weren't in the, and I guess like would join the ship with them is like, it's really, it's, it's really nice to hear. Yeah. And that was definitely something that I was really worried about. Um, You know, I'm, I'm obviously an outsider at that point, because what, what the funniest part was like my first couple days of classes at the Citadel while I was there. I mean, you're walking around in civilian clothes and everyone else is in uniform and you're the one that's getting looked at like you're a unicorn. Like it's <laughs> the funniest and weirdest experience ever. Um, but that was really, really cool. But yeah, I was, I was really, really worried about getting accepted into the, into the team because that was a brotherhood that I could never break into. And is not something that I would even associate myself with now. Those, those students at that school go through crazy amounts of stress. 
um, and they wear a ring that signifies that they have endured that stress and come out stronger people. I am not one of those people. So hats off to them. I would never associate myself with that group because they are a different breed. Um, but it was an honor to be accepted into that group um, and, you know, be accepted by those guys because they're all super tough. And um, it was really nice for them to welcome me as, as warmly as they did. Man, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to make transitions. It's just, it's, it's so, it's just, you're so well-spoken. About Everything you say is so wholesome. So it's like, oh my God, like we need to take a second and go, oh. But we'll break that up with opening up a, a really nice, uh, an, an interesting mead here. Uh, I told Nicole about this uh, and she was like, oh, we got to try it. It's called, it's from Four Fires Meadery. And it's my buddy Chris's meadery up in Toledo. It's called Crambonero. Crampanero is a very interesting mead. It is a honey cranberry cherry wine with natural flavors added. The natural flavors being um, habanero. <laughs> it's a habanero cherry-like honey wine. Uh, I've had goodness. this before. I bought this actually like out of my own money. I was not given this. I actually bought it. I really enjoy it. Let's see. And I saw a like cork it? on that. Yeah, there's a cork on this one. Stick That's a cork awesome. in it. Uh, Wait, I'm, should we do a first impressions thing? Sure. Like, like, I'm scared. That's like, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's over in Toledo. It's at a, just like, uh, yeah, it's my buddy from Four Fires Meadery. This, like, I really enjoyed this. I bought it and I was like, I haven't had this in years. So I'm not even angry that my throat's a little bit on fire right now yeah, because like, it was just so It's funny. really sweet and it's like, really tart from the cherries and cranberries. And then it kind of has like this like, light burn from the habanero kind of in the back of the throat. It's like really interesting. So, I think my man. brain is confused about what I'm supposed to feel right now, though. It's like, um, like that's sweet, but it's tart, but it's burning, but it's sweet and it's good and it's the beer version of uh um sour and sweet uh what's the candy 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 sour patch kids yeah sour patch kids yeah sour patch kids. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> sour patch children yeah <laughs> yes i don't have a beer myself but i do have a seltzer water that i'll crack if that's okay uh this is uh raspberry lime Raspberry lime. Okay, it doesn't yeah. have habanero in it, but it's yeah. still mad respectful. It does pass. Whenever, yeah. uh, whenever I find a flavor that does have habanero, I'll let you know and I'll, I'll bring should, it. Back. But should you go get a habanero and like squeeze some in there so uh, you can feel? How can you squeeze a habanero? I don't. Know. <laughs> I left all my habaneros at home, so I won't be able oh, to do that today. Uh, but well, how is your seltzer? Delicious. Oh, man, Delicious. They, they slap. Out of Especially all seltzers, is raspberry lime the one you reach for the most? Oh, goodness, it's a great question. Um, no, it isn't, actually. My fiancé and I love black cherry. Black cherry seltzers are definitely A1. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, I tried this flavor the other day, and orange vanilla sounds horrific. Actually fabulous as a Is seltzer. Is it like a creamsicle, though? Very similar, yes. Um, not obviously as sweet because it's seltzer, but it's it's really pleasant. I do enjoy it. How long did you just take to pee? That had to have been like two seconds. That's one of my talents. Like I, I just blinked and you were gone. We That's... were talking about we were talking about black cherry seltzer being the goat and how it orange is... vanilla is not bad. Surprisingly, creamsicle. I'm not a seltzer person. Oh. 
It just, it's just not, uh, yeah. But what about like alcoholic seltzers? Do you oh, just... yeah, black cherry, black cherry, I like them. They're a lot sweeter, so I can yeah. understand them. Yeah, they've got a little yeah. bit more punch to them. Yeah, I'll play I mean, they day. get you drunk, so I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do the uh, trick. Yeah. All right, back, back, back to, back to the, uh, back to the uh, old podcast here. Uh, you went from, so you went to Citadel for, for teaching. What got you? You're back in school now. So, like, where did the flip happen here? There's been quite a few flips, honestly. Yeah. Um, so when I graduated from the Citadel, um, I graduated with a master's in education. And if I wanted to go into teaching high school, um, that was pretty much the top in terms of like the education that I would need to be able to be in that profession. Um, you know, a lot of people, what they end up doing is they'll teach for, you know, maybe 10 years and then go back and get their master's. So I, I did everything very much up front in that career path. Um, and at that point, I guess I was how old? I would have been 24. And I think I was really scared at the fact that I was 24 and didn't feel like I had a lot of like room to grow in my ceiling. Um, and there's a lot to learn every year in being a teacher. Um, so, I mean, there would be a lot of growth there, but I wanted to feel like I was pushing myself. Um, and, uh, without any more school to look forward to, I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to push myself hard enough. So I decided to apply to PhD programs. Um, and, I ended up getting rejected from every school that I applied to except Carnegie Mellon. So, wow. and you want to talk about another <laughs> Steph Curry report, the last school that I heard from was CMU. So at that point I had gotten 13 rejections and the 14th school that I applied to said yes. And wow. It. And it was yeah. Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> I, I wrote it off at that point. I was like, there's no shot. There, I've, yeah, I did not think it was going to happen. I called my mom and dad immediately, and I was like, what just happened? I, <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I got, I got really, really lucky, so I was, I was really happy. Collins at half court. Guy comes up, swats him, hits his elbow. He still gets a shot off. It goes in. It drains in. It doesn't even hit. It's a hit backboard. Doesn't hit any of the room, just swipe through. Just nothing but net. And, and, and he gets the and gets the and one too. Yeah, and exactly. one. And and six. I've got six years. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> How many years in are you at Carnegie Mellon? I'm three years in now. So I just finished my third year and I probably got at least two and a half and probably three years left. So you're in graduate school. Yes, exactly. So it's a graduate program, PhD in chemistry. Tell, <laughs> tell. Yeah. So, so. I, I also I have a PhD in medicinal chemistry, so I understand you. Your wow, do. you're Doctor Optimus Prime. Good <laughs> Doctor <Lord>. Prime, <laughs> Doctor Prime. Um, but I understand your pain. Um, like. I, it can be really hard to balance like running with that kind of caliber of schooling. How do you do it? Like, well, what are some tips that you have? I, I love running, man. I, I love it. 
I really do. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to spend my free time running. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, I have three modes. I'm unconscious, <laughs> I'm running, or I'm here at work. Um, so I, I, I love sleeping. I love running. And, you know, I, I can I can do this science stuff and I'll tolerate it. And I do. Okay, but like, but, yeah. what's like four, five, and six for you? Is like eating up there? Oh, easy. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I, I put hanging out with Sarah, my fiance, at the top 100%. Oh, that's good. That's good. That get, that's going to get you some brownie yeah, points, I, too. I, good job. Great. Absolutely. No, yeah, I, I saw is, the Instagram post. It was adorable. No, oh, she's, she's genuinely the best human I know. Um, so she lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan still. So I've been going back and forth to Ann Arbor quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And if I'm not here at work or running, I am there and, and spending time with Sarah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what eats up my weekends all the time is she's either driving here or I'm driving to Ann Arbor to go and see her. How long have you been together? We've been together for three years now. Just Yay. celebrated our three-year anniversary. Yeah. So you got you got to Carnegie Mellon, and you were like, "All right, here's a hot babe. Time for me to snatch that up." <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, she was someone that's been in my life for a long time. We've we've known each other since seventh grade. Oh, um, yeah. I love this. <laughs> uh, we were in a band together, and what I wish I could say it was love at first sight. <laughs> uh, but uh, you was it. Oh, I mean, like we, we didn't, I mean, obviously we, we didn't start dating until well after college. Um, but I, I was way too dense. I got invited to prom my sophomore year of high school by Sarah. So Sarah's a year older than me in school. Um, and Sarah invited me to prom and the version of the story she will tell you is that I rejected her. And this is not the case. And I want this to be on public record. I'm really glad that we're talking about this. <laughs> what happened was the weekend of prom was going to be our conference Whippeal championships. And I knew this. So she came up to me and was like, Colin, I'd really like for you to come to prom with me. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to check my schedule. <laughs> and yes, that is a horrific answer. That is a horrific <laughs> answer. But that is not a rejection. That's not a rejection. So obviously Sarah was freaking out. She was not pleased. So she went and talked to her friends and told her, like, I think he's just trying to let me down easy. Uh, and, and rightfully so. Yeah, that would be a horrific thing to hear from someone that you were interested in. Um, because, again, I was way too dense to realize that she had feelings for me. Um, and, uh, she's, she's told me this a million times, but I just didn't realize that I was like, yeah, like hundred percent, we're best buds. So like, we'll go. And she was like, yeah, friends for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she invited me to prom and, um, we have pictures of going to prom together, which is just oh hilarious. God. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's adorable. It's adorable. I have to check my schedule. That's like almost worse than a no though. <laughs> I mean, objectively, yes. That is, yeah, that's horrible. It, I'll I mean, see if I can like pencil you in. Shit, is that the reason why it's, I'm not getting it, any, it might be the reason why I'm not getting any messages back on Tinder. You have to, you have to be like, hey, I may be able to pencil you in next week, you in? Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why, that's why I'm not getting messages back on Tinder, because I keep using that. 
keep using that. You have to Dang let it. me come up with your pickup lines. That's what that's what you're doing. Oh, God. We're going to crowdsource it. Don't worry. We're going to crowdsource <laughs> it today on this podcast, actually. I, I mean, we've already got the best pickup line you can get. I got to check my schedule. <laughs> it works. Now we're I mean, engaged, you're getting married so. now, so. <laughs> I, I kind of going because, of course, we always go jump off topic here. Uh, but also, we got one of the best stories I've had on the podcast. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit to somebody that moves from a different city? So you moved to Ann Arbor, then you moved to South Carolina, then you moved back to Pittsburgh, and and talk about your mentality about like getting back into a consistent running schedule as you're moving your entire life and adjusting to an entire different life. Because I mean. Michigan's going to be a whole thing, but then you go to Sydney, it's a whole different thing. Now you're in a very, very, like, and, and, and you're in, in your program now, too. And, and, like, how, what, how, what did you do for yourself to make sure that you have that healthy habit where running is not a stressor, it's still something you enjoy? Yeah. Um, I think just making time for it was the biggest thing. So, uh, whenever I started my PhD, I was actually on a running streak. So I was, I was tracking a running streak for myself. Um, so that was really motivating for me. Uh, and I definitely think was really helpful for me. It's not something that I would condone, honestly. Um, I think taking days off is really, really important. And it's something that I think, you know, really helped me in this last training block, uh, get to the, you know, everything that I was able to do this, this past spring, um, but I was on a running streak, so like I had to run every day, so I had to make time. Um, and finding that time was my stress relief um, because it was so stressful to be at school and be in the lab, and it still very much is. Getting out the door and being in nature and getting some sun on my skin has always been you know, a really, really nice way to take a break from everything that's going on. I think in general, it's, it's a very hard transition and I think a lot of people don't aren't really that patient for themselves and to kind of go gun, gun, gun there and just like make some time for it, whether it's like four miles, five miles, or even just like 10, 10 20 minutes, like make some time for it if you enjoy it and have some fun with it. I also think yeah. like when you move somewhere, it's kind of cool to like get to explore like where you are, unless you like live in a terrible area, then I probably wouldn't suggest doing it. But <laughs> if you can like explore your, where you live or like, where you've previously been like that's that's kind of been for trap me traveling so much has kind of been my saving grace and like continuing to work out it's just like knowing that you get to see something that you probably didn't see when you were at the citadel or <laughs> like you have to say it that way right like the citadel <laughs> <laughs> or like an arbor like when you go when you go visit your fiance like it's like familiar familiar territory but it's like new scenery absolutely yeah and I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I was just in the suburbs. So yeah. moving back to Pittsburgh was a really unique experience because I was seeing a side of the city that I never really saw growing up. Uh, you know, I did one race a year down at Shenley Park, and that was it. And I was never down there otherwise. Um, so to come back and be in a familiar place that I knew about but didn't know exactly was pretty much all I needed to say like, oh man, I really feel like I'm on my own and figuring out a new city, even though like I had lived here my whole life. So it felt new enough that it was exciting, um, but was still familiar. So I felt really at ease here, which I think was really, really nice. 
Yeah, I think like having that familiar territory, but like, it's like the same but different because your family, your family still lives in South Carolina. They do. So like you're still on your own, but you're like in your home. It's that's kind of an interesting dynamic, I think. For sure, yeah, and I still have a lot of the you know family friends that I grew up with, and uh, one of my aunts and uncles um, are still here. Um, so, you know, having those people here is also just like a nice touchstone to kind of come back to every once in a while, you know, if I'm feeling really stressed or, you know, just need to see a familiar face, having them in Pittsburgh is still really helpful. And I've used that a couple of times, you know, I just send out those families a text and say, Hey, I'm really sorry. Can I come over? <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're open arms every single time. I love that for you. You have such a wholesome story, yeah. just like all around, just like a very wholesome, very nice story. Like you deserve to OTQ. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the one thing that I posted as soon as even I was like, I, I think I comment I was I might have been Bronca that I like I I, I tagged him. It's like there's just people that you cheer for, and it's like it it is it genuinely like just from the moment I met you and just kind of hearing more and more about you and I mean, dude, it, it is I, it, the 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 people are gonna fall in love. Is all I think. <laughs> Get the people going. Get the people going. Thank you so much for listening to the Beers and Miles, The Elite Files. We had a lot of fun recording with Colin this week, and uh, we're sure you're going to enjoy the second installment of this series with him, where we talk about his introduction to the Pittsburgh Track Club, and then ultimately, Olympic Trials Qualifier. Uh, we have a lot of great stories to come from that, and uh, a lot of our fun questions that we have with all of our guests. Uh, we're sure you're going to like the uh, second episode, uh, and if you like this podcast, please leave a uh, like, share, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, share it on, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, until then, we'll talk to you next week.